my uh, <clears throat> wife and I and her dad, like we, years ago, we bought a house together and uh, we actually moved back from Richmond, Kentucky, and we planned on living in that house for a while until we found a different ministry. And then when we did, we moved out. But while we lived in that house, we fixed it up. We painted it. We got new carpet. We made it look really, really nice. And then when we moved out, my father-in-law decided to rent the, the house, and that's what he did. So the renters were great for a while. They paid rent for uh, about six months to a year, and then they just stopped paying. And they didn't pay for, I think, about six months, and they were evicted, and then uh, we went into the house, you know, because he was going to rent it again, and it was totally torn apart, all right? Uh, it looked terrible. So we fixed it up again, and then uh, he rented it out again, and the same thing happened. Like, he got a, a renter. They paid for a while. They stopped paying. They got evicted. And then uh, one day, like, before they got evicted, like, the house started looking abandoned. I'm sorry. They left completely. Like, they... So they didn't pay for six months, and then they abandoned the house. I was driving by it. It looked abandoned. I called my father-in-law. I said, hey, uh, the house looks empty. He said, I want you to go check it out. And if it, if it gives you anything of what the inside looked like, I looked in the basement window because it was all locked. They had been gone at that time for about three weeks, and there were about 12 cats in the house that they left locked up in the house. <laughs> like, and they, those cats totally demolished you know, everything, so we had to fix it up. Again, the last time we fixed it up, we sold it. But, you know, when you rent something to somebody or somebody borrows something, like, you expect them to take care of it, right? I mean, that's just kind of an unspoken rule. Like, uh, especially if you have tenants, like, they're going to they're pay for it. And when we talk about this parable, we're talking about the tenants. And uh, when we talk about it, you're going to see some renters that were a lot worse, like, than the ones that I had. Jesus tells this parable, and he uses... Uh, he talks about a vineyard, and in this parable, he knows, like, that they're going to understand this because they made wine, you know, back then. They'll, they'll know exactly what he's talking about as he talks about uh, this parable. So, we're, there are some parallels that we're going to look at. So, as we read through the scripture, remember this, that the planter that we talk about is God. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. The tenants is Israel's religious leaders, and the servants, the prophets and the priests, and the son is Jesus, okay? In the very first verse, it says in Mark 12, 1, it says, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. So the vineyard owner had taken great care to assure that his vineyard would be fruitful. So he planted seed, says he built a fence, he dug out a pit for the wine press built a watchtower. Uh, the vineyard owner had an end result in mind of a bountiful harvest and excellent fruit, right? So then he gives it to some tenants. And the first point is this, the tenants reject the servants, right? So we're going to read and start back in here. It says, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He, still, he sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, and others they killed. So Jesus is saying in this that God, the landowner leased his property to tenant farmers, the Jewish leadership, but 
when he sent his servants, the prophets, to collect fruit from the vineyard, Israel, they were mistreated and killed. So he sent more servants, but they received the same treatment. And who is Jesus talking to in this parable? The them in verse 1 are the delegates from the Jewish Sanhedrin. They were the leaders. Verse 1 would have immediately reminded them of one of the most famous parables from the Old Testament. And if you want to read that up and look at it later, you can write it down. It's, it's Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. There are many similarities between these two parables. And does, how does this pertain to us today? So, you know, as he's talking to the leadership, like there was, I would say, corruption in the church and the people that God wanted to come to him was not able to come to him because of the leaders in the church. And it, was, it wasn't good, you know. And there is corruption in the church today sometimes that happen. You're going to see that in any organization, right? Uh, there was a guy, I don't know if you remember him. He was around the 80s. His name was Robert Tilton. Okay, Robert Tilton was a preacher, and he would say, if you send me $1,000 in a prayer request and an envelope, I will pray for you, and God will bless you. And people sent him all this money, and then ABC did like a uh, investigation, and they went to the bank of which he banked at, and they found all those envelopes with the prayer request in them, but the money removed, okay? So he was just taking the money, and he wasn't re reading the prayer request. They did an investigation into him and found in the 80s, like, all that money went to different things. Like he had a house that was, I think it was $5.5 million. It was on the beach. Had a lot of really nice stuff, you know. So, so there was some corruption there. So there's corruption that goes on. But even less than that, are sometimes like are people rejected uh, from the church or from Christians? Again, like in this scripture, it is hard for people that need Jesus to come to Jesus or come to God because of what is going on. And rejection is hard, right? Uh, we'll pull, go ahead and pull up that slide. There's a slide here of people that can be rejected. You know, you have the people that are overlooked. You have people that feel like they're outside of the circle, people that need help, and even leadership sometimes. And that, I put me up there. I'm not lonely. I can assure you that I got five kids. But, but sometimes, like, they can feel lonely too because leadership sometimes is a lonely place to be. People can feel lonely in the church. All of them need Jesus and rejection is something that we don't want to happen for somebody wanting to come to the church and know Jesus. Uh, and rejection is hard. We learn that from an early age. When I was in kindergarten, I had a dream. Okay, I remember this very well. I had a dream about a girl that was in my class named Stacy. Now, don't let Courtney know this because I don't want her to track her down. Like, but it's been a long time since I've even heard her name. So, like, her name is Stacy. Had a dream about her. I told my mom when I woke up that Stacy was going to be my girlfriend. Okay, Stacy didn't know about this, and I did go to kindergarten that day, and uh, one of the kids got up from his seat that sat next to me, and I said, Stacy, come and sit here. We had assigned seats, so I don't know what I was thinking, but she told me no, okay? And then finally, she told me to leave her alone, and then I didn't, so the teacher said, you need to leave her alone. So I did, you know, and that was the end of that relationship. Nothing ever happened with it. Um, but, you know... Rejection as a kid wasn't as bad as rejection, I think, as an adult. In Men's Health, they had an article on mental health, and it talked about the importance of loving oneself. So 98%, they asked, I forget, it was like 100 kids, 98% of those kids uh, that were in second grade, they said to them, hey, do you like yourself? And they said, yes, I do, I like myself. 
Okay, they asked the same amount of 12th graders the same question, do you like yourself? And 28% of them said, I do like myself. And you see this big decline of people that, that like themselves from kindergarten to 12th grade. And what happens there? Well, rejection. You know, if we don't look a certain way, if we don't have certain things, if we don't go to the right school, if we're not athletic enough, if we're not pretty enough or dressed like others, then we can feel rejected. We can feel beat down. And Satan can whisper in our ears that, that we are nothing, you know, because we don't fit into this certain mold that culture wants us to fit into. Now, there was a kid in my grade named Carlton, and I remember Carlton when he was younger, because uh, we were in kindergarten together up to like third grade. I remember playing with Carlton a lot. I remember being on the teeter-totter with Carlton. Carlton, not because it was his fault, they were very poor. Like there were four kids, they lived in a two-bedroom trailer. Carlton didn't always have the best clothes. None of this was noticed by any of us until we started getting older and people started making fun of Carlton. So much so that when he was a senior, he basically just looked at the floor, he would not smile and he did not want to be at school. He was rejected by everybody and by the end of school year, like he, or by the end of our senior year, he was a mess. And, you know, people look for community to accept them. The great thing is about being in the church and knowing Jesus is that's all you need, right? You can take a man that is Amish, and then you can take someone who was raised in the ghetto, like Mr. Horn, like, and they can be friends, right? The only thing they have to have in common is Jesus. There's people that I hang around with at this church that you probably wouldn't think I do. Like, Mr. Horn is probably in my best friends group. I would put him in that circle. I love him. So, Ronnie Dirk, I like to hang out with him. Eric Deucer, I like to hang out with him. And that is like a motley crew, right? I love all those guys. I love to hang out with them. You might not think that we all would hang out together, but we have this thing in common called Jesus, and we can be in the circle together, right? Everybody should be in the circle. No one should be, feel like they have to be left out of the circle. They should feel accepted, especially when they come into the church doors. There are people out there that are lonely. I, uh, my truck was worked on for about, I mean, it felt like forever. It's probably three months. I went to this place to pick it up. And uh, the guy that owns the place, is he has to be close to 90. And I mean that. I'm not joking. He, he really is close to 90. And as I was there to get my truck, I wanted to get my truck. I wanted to leave. He, he talked to me, and he would talk to me and talk to me. He would ask me about my kids. He would ask me about my wife. He would tell me about his wife. And I was there for a good long time. It didn't seem like I could get away. And right before I left, he said, hey, he said, I want you to remember something. And I said, okay, what's that? And he said, your wife? You know the wife you have? I said, yeah. And he goes, I want you to remember, she's your boss. He said that. And I thought, well, that was a weird statement, you know, so... I get in the vehicle and I'm driving. I call my mother-in-law because she knows him and I, and I tell her about it and uh, found out that like his wife died not that long ago. And that has changed everything. You know, really, here's a guy like that is lonely. Here's a guy that needs somebody like, and I like am a minister. I should care about people. I should look for these openings and I'm there and I'm wanting to get out of there. I just want to go. I think it's weird that he's asking me about my kids and my wife and all this stuff, but but, you know, here's a guy that's lonely, that has lost his wife, that wants to share with me, like, what his life was like and his wife was like and, and family. And, uh, you know, I could see very well how he could have felt rejected from me. And hearing that he did that made me want to go there and just let him talk as long as he wanted. 
You know, there are people out there that's like that. There are widows. There are people that have lost, uh, you know, their spouse. I know my sister-in-law, Katie, like when she lost her husband, and she told me that, you know, the church wasn't very good at reaching out to her. And because when something like that happens, I just feel like we don't know what to do with that, right? But like the widows are not going to reach out to us. Like we got to reach out to them. And it all is like relationship. Do we reach out to people like that? Do we take the time? What if you went to a family gathering and people were nice and sweet to each other, but they didn't talk to you at all? Like, would that make you want to leave? For some of you, you might be happy about that. But for some of you, you might want to get out of there, right? So when people come to a church and they watch us hug each other and we love each other and we talk to each other, but we ignore that person, that in turn doesn't make them feel loved, right? Being around people that love each other doesn't make someone else feel accepted. And we want other people, when they come here, to feel accepted, to feel like they're a part of the group. We want to say hello. We want to build a relationship with them. We don't want to stand in the way of uh, what God might have for them. The next thing is the tenants reject the son. Mark 12, starting with 6, it said, He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir, come let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So finally the owner sends his son Jesus, because surely they'll respect him. But the tenants get rid of him in hopes of gaining the vineyard for themselves. At this point, the landlord intervenes. We'll talk about that later. He destroys the wicked tenants and gives the vineyard to other people. So think about this for a moment, all right? So the owner, the owner's servants are getting slaughtered. Many of them were beat and killed, and yet the owner decides to send his most pre uh, precious possession to these evil, murderous men, all right? You know that the house that we talked about that, that Junior was renting? You know, say... You know, those people, they didn't pay for their rent, you know. And, and Junior and I get together and like, we notice that they're not paying for their rent. We'll send Courtney to go get the rent, okay? So my wife, Courtney, goes to get the rent, and she comes back uh, with the black eye, you know. And we're like, what happened? And she's like, well, they hit me. They, they beat me. They didn't want to give me the rent. So then I say, you know what? You know what a great idea would be? If I send my son, Trace, to go get the rent, and I sent him. Now, that's crazy, right? Like, we wouldn't do that because it's going to put our kid and my wife in harm. It's not typical to put our children in danger. We do the opposite. You know, I've told you before, like, if a guy came in here waving a gun and he said, hey, Chris, you die or one of these people die, I do think I could say I will die, like, and I would like, you know, the people to live. But if they came in here and said, Chris, you die, or if a person came in here and said, one of these people die or your child dies, like, you will probably die, like, and I'm going to choose my kid to live, right? I wouldn't be able to sacrifice my child for anybody here, and I don't think that you would either. It's just not what parents do. It's not typical. The people we care about, we do for. We don't put them in harm's way. You know, my kids, like, if someone is at the door at 3 a.m., and Courtney's like, I think someone's at the door, and I hear it, and I'm like, well... Let's send Benny to go see who it is, you know, my child. Like, that, that's not going to happen. It's not going to work. But what landowner, 
landowner in their right mind would send their kid to talk to people like this? What kind of father would send his son to people who despise his authority, mistreat his servants, to people who've beaten and killed every single other person that he sent? God is the type of father that would do that. The simple act of God sending his son shows us how much he loves people who don't love him. God loves us so much that he sent his son. You can find that in John 3, 16. God is holy. We've rejected him. We deserve his judgment, but in his mercy, he sends us Jesus instead of judgment. The sending of the son of God reveals the love of God. We need to remember this when we doubt or wonder whether God loves us. He does. He sent Jesus. And we see next that God rejects the tenants. Start Mark 12, 9, it says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders took, looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Jesus in this, he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was going to make the religious leaders mad. He knew that they were going to try to arrest them. And he went away, he went ahead and spoke boldly and told them what he was doing or what they were doing. What do you see when Jesus talks to sinners in the Bible? Well, you see that Jesus cares and has compassion on them. A Jesus uh, that talks to corrupt religious leaders who know better, you don't see that same compassion. You see a Jesus who pulls no punches. This should give us all pause when we claim to be a leader, we claim to be a Christian, or we're in ministry about our lives. Are we putting up a fence between them and Jesus? Are we breaking down walls so they can get to Jesus? I remember at church camp first year, I was 15 years old. I was not raised in the church, and I went to church camp, all right? So I'm walking around church camp with my other friends, and this guy comes up to us, and he's wearing a tie and a suit, and he says, excuse me. I said, yes, and he said, you do not need to be wearing shorts at camp, okay? It was 95 degrees outside. So as a 15-year-old that had never been to camp, I thought, why would you wear pants outside? Like, because it's hot out here. But that was one of his things. Like, he didn't think people should wear shorts. Now, there were other kids. We were playing basketball and everything. That, you know, to me as a 15-year-old, like, if I would I went to my youth pastor and said, this man said this, and he said, ignore him. Like, just keep wearing shorts. But if I would have had to put pants on, I would have left. Like, I would have had my mom come get me. I would have never met Jesus. You know, I mean, sometimes we look at people that are saved or and like we think that they need to be where we're at, right? Like they're going to be like further along in their walk or they're going to have the same convictions as us, but they don't. We don't want to put up a fence, you know, with with those people. We want to break down walls so they can get there. And the last is this, Jesus was rejected so that we can be accepted. Listen, there are a lot of things out there that we are going to be rejected from. Like, Like we just are. We can't be accepted into everything. There's groups, there's different things. If you're not smart enough, right, you can't go to Harvard. If you're not uh, athletic enough, you're not going to be in the NBA. But I also brought, these are some groups here, you know, that 
you might not know of, and, and we can't be all in these groups either. So that's the blue man group, all right? If you're not coordinated or musically inclined, like you're probably not going to be in that group. This one with the tie is called the Martin Baker Tie Club. So pilots who have activated their Martin Baker ejection seats and have lived to tell the tale, they get to be in this club. So if you flew a plane and you were ejected from that plane and you lived, you get to be in this group. It says there you have 6,000 registered members, right? That's not a plane I would fly in because it seems like that's a lot. Like Navy SEAL, you can't be a Navy SEAL unless you are mentally strong. If you're within a certain age and uh, you are athletic enough, you can't be that. And this last one, believe it or not, the guy with the beard and the long hair, that's called the luxurious flowing hair club for scientists, all right? So this is true, you can look it up. If you are a scientist and you have luscious, gorgeous mane of hair, you can be in this group. You just have to send a picture of your luscious mane of hair and a, uh, a proof that you are a scientist and, and they will let you be in this group. They have it for beards as well. So, you know, if you want to do that, good luck with your application. But you could be in that if you fall into that group. Now with Jesus, like him being rejected so we can be accepted, like that includes everybody that's here. It includes you, it includes me, it includes all of us. Like that is one group that we all can be uh, in together. And it's good to remember that because Jesus loves you enough, you, your name, it's your address that he died for you like so that you could come to him. You are important. And no matter how you've been rejected in your life, you know, or what your parents were like, or, or what school was like for you, Jesus loves you, and he will not reject you. Rejection is one of the most painful things we have to face in life. But even though rejection is hard, it's also good, because it points us to the God who accepts us. The rejection of the world reminds us of our acceptance with God. So in a marvelous and mysterious way, God's acceptance of us is based on the rejection of his son. Jesus was cast aside so we could be welcomed. Jesus was overlooked so we could be chosen. Jesus was abandoned so we could be adopted. Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. Jesus died so we could live. The glory of the gospel is that God sent Jesus to do this for people who don't like him. We're the wicked tenants who, who haven't respected God's servants or God's son. We've not wanted to listen to the owner of the land. We've preferred to run the vineyard ourselves. And indeed, we have preferred to steal the vineyard ourselves, taking from God what is rightly his. Today, again, I don't know what your life has been like. Maybe you have experienced, I think we all have experienced some rejection in our life. And maybe sometimes you feel not worthy to come to Jesus, but know that he loves you enough for you to do that. Maybe there are people in your life that you haven't reached out to and you feel like you need to like rip down that wall and, and invite them into uh, Jesus's love. Like if that's something that you wanna pray about today, like. There's going to be people in the back that will pray with you. I'll be up here in the front and I'll pray with you. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you want to be baptized today. 
that can happen as well. Or maybe you just want to come up here and you want to communicate about how you could join the church. That could happen too. So whatever it is, I would say to you, like if God is speaking to you today, like don't let that moment pass. Make sure you step out and pray with somebody. All right, let's stand together and I'm going to pray. And then after that, they're going to lead us in a song. As they lead us in that song, as we worship with them, the invitation is open for you guys to come and pray. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day, and we thank you for the love that you give us. Father, we thank you that you don't give up on us, that you don't reject us, and that uh, you understand what we're going through. Uh, you understand the loneliness of, of life. You're not a God that, that has not suffered or does not understand our pain, but you know greater than anyone. Father, be with us as we worship. Help us to step out if we need to come to you and pray with somebody. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.